So as we're going through this transition, I really hope that you'll take advantage of all the opportunities that are involved here. Um, and this afternoon at 1.30, um, come on back. Uh, if you haven't had a chance yet to really get to meet Pastor Larry, um, find out a little bit more of his story and, and how he ended up in pastoral ministry and, and, uh, and here at Northgate. I'm really excited about this transition and where we're at as a church. And I really want to encourage you to take the opportunity to get to know Pastor Larry this afternoon. Um, or Wednesday night this week or Tuesday night next week um, are all the opportunities. Take advantage of one of those and, uh, and get to know him a little bit better. Um, also, a couple of things. Next Sunday uh, at, uh, after our 1130 service, it was already mentioned, um, June is going to be transition month. And so um, our annual meeting of our membership, as well as um, anybody's actually welcome to attend, um, but our annual meeting will be next Sunday, June 3rd at 1.30, and I encourage you to be there for that, especially if you are a member here at Northgate, as we can kind of talk about what this transition is looking like and what's happening um, as we move forward for the rest of this year. And then uh, June 24th, which is the last Sunday of June, is going to be actually Pastor Larry's installation service, um, where he will be installed as the new lead pastor here at Northgate, and I'll be transitioning into my new role. So um, some big important dates coming up. I hope that you will take part in all of those and, and be a part of what's going on here at Northgate. Um, we are in this series called Believe, and we're using this as a resource book. Again, if you have not yet picked up your copy, they are free. They're available at the information desk. Uh, we make them available to everyone. We're halfway through the series, but um, I would still encourage you to pick up the book. And It's not too late to get started and to join in with us. Um, the whole idea behind this series is what are the things, the essentials of the Christian faith? What are the things that we believe as Christ followers? But more importantly, and that's the section that we're in now, is how do we live out that faith? How do we live out our beliefs when it comes to our everyday, day-to-day, in-and-out living, okay? And today, actually, we're going to be talking about that specifically on the use of our time and offering our time. If we say that we have given our lives to Christ, then we are now followers of His, wholehearted followers, which is our goal, then what does that look like in everyday life? And the bottom line of this, the big idea for this morning is simply this, your time is your life, And what you do with your time determines the direction of your life. And so what we do with our time and how we approach the use of our time becomes very, very important. Um, Lewis Smedes writes about it this way. says, I bought a brand new date book recently, the kind I use every year. Spiral brown, black black imitation leather covers wrapped around pages and pages of blank squares. Each square has a number to tell me which day of the month I am in at the moment. Each square is a frame for one episode of my life. Before I am through with the book, I will fill the squares with classes I will teach, people I will eat lunch with, and everlasting committee meetings that I will sit through. And these are only the things that I cannot afford to forget. I fill the squares, too, with things that I do not write down for me to remember. Thousands of cups of coffee, some lovemaking, some praying, and I hope gestures of help to my neighbors. Whatever I do, it has to fit inside one of those squares on my date book. I live one square at a time. The four lines that make up the square are the walls of time that organize my life. Everything I do, does, everything I do has to fit in one square. I cannot straddle the lines. Each square has an invisible door that leads to the next square. At a silent stroke, the door opens and I am pulled through it as if by a magnet, sucked into the next square in the line. 
There again, I will fill the time with frame, time frame that seals me. Fill it with busyness, just as I did the square before. As I get older, the squares seem to get smaller. One day, I will walk into a square that has no door. There will be no mysterious opening and no walking into an adjoining square. One of the squares will be terminal. I do not know which square it will be. A life insurance person can roughly guess the squares I may expect before I get to the last one. How many do I have left? Suppose I have exactly 1,029 squares left. What difference would it make to me now as I fill up this square, the only one that holds me today? We're given a certain amount of squares. And our life is made up from one square to the next, to the next, to the next. And each one is a designation of a period of time. And how you fill each square, it's going to make a big, big difference on what legacy you live or what your life looks like when you come to that very last square. And that's why um, Moses wrote in Psalm 90 these words. Um, He said, teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Paul wrote about it to the Ephesian church very, very similarly. He said, be careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity. Every day, every moment, every passage of time presents an opportunity. And the question for you and I is, what are we doing with those opportunities? How is it that we are living our lives? If you're a baby boomer like me, um, you probably will recognize this passage of scriptures from Ecclesiastes chapter 3. You know it as the turn, turn, turn song. Uh, It goes like this. There is a time for everything and a season to every activity under the heavens. A time to be born and a time to die. A time to plant and a time to uproot. A time to kill and a time to heal. A time to tear down and a time to build. A time to weep, a time to laugh, a time to mourn, and a time to dance. A time to scatter stones and a time to gather them. A time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing. A time to search, a time to give up, a time to keep, and a time to throw away. A time to tend and a time to mend, tear and a time to mend. A time to be silent and a time to speak. A time for love, a time for hate, a time for war, a time for peace. What do workers gain from their toil? I've seen the burden that God has laid on the human race. He has made everything beautiful in its time. He has also set eternity in the human heart. Yet no one can fathom what God has done from beginning to end. I know that there is nothing better for people than to be happy and to do good while they live, that each of them may eat and drink and find satisfaction in all their toil. This is the gift of God. Let me read those last two sentences again. I know that there is nothing better for people than to be happy, to do good while they live, that each of them may eat and drink and find satisfaction in all their toil. This is the gift of God. Living with a sense of eternity makes a difference on how we live each day. And writer of Ecclesiastes sums, sums it up with these three things. That these are the big things. If you, if you fit these big things in each day, if you fit these big things into your life, then all these other little things, this time for this, time for that, they will find their place. But he says, these are the things that I find to be the most important. These are the gifts of God, that they would enjoy life or, or be happy. 
that they would do good while they live and find satisfaction. And I think those three big ideas is what I want to talk to you about, about making the most of your time, of your life. And each one of these are, are big things. And if you make the time for those, if you carve out the time for these, then all the other demands and all the other busyness and everything else in your life will find its place. But these have to have their primary importance. And the first one is this, that you carve out time to replenish. Writer of Ecclesiastes put it this way, I know there is nothing better for people than to be happy. Now, the word happy there, it, it, it doesn't quite convey the depth of what he's talking about. The old King James Version says um, that there would be nothing better for them for people to rejoice. And there's a big difference between joy and for happiness. Happiness tends to be dependent on circumstances. But joy is something much more deep-seated. And I think that's more what he's talking about. And, and, and to, to have a life of joy means carving out space, making, making room in your schedule for replenishment. Think about it in the opposite way. When your life is not being replenished, when you find yourself depleted um, or, or, or stressed or stretched to the end or running on fumes, running on empty, what does life look like for you? I know for me, when I've been running at that pace, what I find is I'm more irritable, I'm less patient with people, I tend to be more um, irritated by them, I I tend to be uh, more um, exhausted in general and scattered in my thinking. And if I don't take time to replenish, if you don't take time to replenish, then we live at that that level of stress. And he's talking about having this, this incredible depth of joy to our lives. The other thing that happens when you're running on empty is sin becomes much more attractive. Because you're so stretched and so thin that, that, that any sense of, of feeling good becomes much more attractive to you. So he says it's better off to carve out into your schedule time for joy, time for replenishing, be, replenishing because all of creation, including you, are, uh, was created with a sense of rhythm. It says it this way, Ecclesiastes 3.1, there is a time for everything and a season for every activity under the heavens. There is a rhythm to this life. There is a rhythm to all of creation. You read the creation story, and there was evening and there was morning the first day. And then God spoke, and there was evening and morning the second day. And God spoke, and, there was this, and it was so, and it was evening and morning. And there is this rhythm to the whole creation story, and it continues to this day. We go once around the sun. That's one lap around the sun every year, 365 and one quarter days. And we make up for that quarter day every four years. And, and there is a rhythm to that. There are seasons to, to, to life. There are seasons to each year. There, is, there are seasons to crops. There, is, there are tides that go in and out. It's all affected by the moon, which orbits the earth. There is this rhythm, and you are a part of that rhythm. And it's so important that God said, make sure that you live within that rhythm. One of the Ten Commandments is this, that six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work. He said that's so important that he made it one of his top ten, that you were meant to live in a rhythm, and when you don't live in that rhythm, and a part of that rhythm is a rhythm of rest, Life becomes unmanageable. You need that rhythm. Multitasking was not a part of God's original design. 
And as much as you might think that you can multitask, the truth is you cannot. You think you're accomplishing much more in the short amount of time you have. But the truth is you're just doing three or four things really badly. Because multitasking simply does not work. We are created for this rhythm. Every 24 hours, you need six to eight just to rest and replenish your body. Physically, emotionally as well. In fact, there's three areas I think that we need constant replenishment. One is physically. We need physical replenishment. We also need emotional replenishing. And we need spiritual replenishing. And I tell you, I learned the hard way what happens when you don't take care of all three of those, when you mismanage that cycle, when you mismanage that rhythm. I did pretty good on the the physical and I did pretty good on the spiritual, but emotional mismanagement ended up after 13 years of ending up in a crash and burn situation for me. And even though I recovered from that to some degree, I have lived with the results of that for the last 15 years. You've heard of type A personalities, you know, type A, I, I are one. Um, one of the things that, you know, you know who coined that term? It was actually a cardiologist named Meyer Friedman. And, and he was dealing with um, his heart patients, people with heart disease. And what he found, this is how he made the discovery. They made the discovery that the waiting room furniture needed reupholstering. But the only part that needed reupholstering was the front edge of all of the seats, and the armrest, not the backrest, but the front. It's because all these people, these type A people, were wearing out the front edge of the seat because they were the ones, they always sitting on edge. And he discovered, and that's, that's kind of where he started doing some more research into this whole thing. And that's where they came up with this idea of type A personalities. You need replenishment on a regular cycle, physically, emotionally, and I think most importantly, spiritually. Because God is, the, God is your source. Jesus put it this way. What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world, yet forfeit their soul? Dallas Willard said, hurry is the great enemy of spiritual life in our day. And he made a distinction between being busy and being hurried. Busy has to do with having a lot of activity to do. He said, hurried, hurried is a condition of the soul. And if you don't take time to replenish, you will pay the price for it. And it's so important because if you're going to offer God your time, it's, it, it's important that you are replenished all the time by him. Do you know when you go on, uh, when you take a trip on an airline and, and you get on the plane and you buckle all in and as they're taxiing out the runway, um, the, stewards, they, the flight attendants always make the same announcement, the announcement that none of you listen to anymore because you've heard it so many times, Right. But the, the announcement goes something along the lines, you know, in the event of a, of a loss of cabin pressure, yes, yeah, so you don't listen to it. No, an oxygen mask will fall from the ceiling. And then the second part of that instruction is what? If you're traveling with a young child, put your mask on first and then assist your child. Why? Because if you don't take care of yourself first, you're no good to the child. Same thing is true when it comes to replenishing your soul. If you don't take time regularly to replenish your soul, then you are no good to God and of no use to the people around you. He says you need to make time for replenishment. The second thing has to do with doing good. Set aside time for doing good. It goes on, verse 12. 
There is nothing better for people than to be happy and to do good while they live. Now, I believe doing good has to do with, what, has to do with other people. What makes doing good good is the benefit that it is to the people around you. That that's what makes doing good, doing good. Galatians 6.10 puts it this way. As we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially those who belong to the family of believers. And what happens is when we let our commitments and the demands of our life get us so busy that we don't have time for people, we suffer and so do they. When, when our kids were younger, um, my son wanted to play soccer. But the only reason he would play soccer is, uh, the only way he would play soccer is if I would be his coach. And so I thought, well, this is a great father-son bonding time. You know, this is a great opportunity. So I took the, you know, coaching clinic and I got my coaching license and I, and I started coaching my son's soccer. And it was fun and it was great. We had a great time together. And, and then, of course, my daughter decided she wanted to play soccer. So now I ended up coaching two teams. And, um, and so then our Tuesdays and Thursday dinner was Subway sandwiches between the two practices. And I got really, really busy and very involved in soccer. And then, of course, I, then I went on, got a, a seat on the soccer board. So then I started serving. So now I had soccer board meetings to go to. And then with the soccer board um, came responsibility. So on Friday afternoons, I had to go line the fields and all those things. And what I found was all of a sudden, the thing that I had started to do for a relationship with my son was taking away from my relationship with my son because I was so busy doing all these other things. And that's what happens. John Orkberg calls it... Um, uh, 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 commitment creep. He says, what happens is it's not big commitments that get in the way. It's little commitments. And because you don't notice it, they pile up and you think you got it handled. And before you know it, you are so busy with all these little things that you're doing that it takes away from your time with people. And what happens is your, your marriage suffers, your family life suffers, your friendships suffer. See, doing good is about being available for people. It's not about completing tasks. And the question I want to ask you is, do your commitments match your convictions? See, Jesus was very, very clear. He told us what our two greatest commitments are. To love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. He made it very, very, very very clear. These are your two primary commitments. And we say, yeah, I believe that. Yeah, I ascribe to that. Yeah, that's that's part of my belief system. But but if you looked at your calendar and the day-to-day activities of your calendar, do they match up with what you say are your two greatest commitments? Do your convictions, do your commitments match? Very often... We get so involved in tasks and activities that it starts taking away from our relationships. See, doing good mostly is just about being available. Being available for people. With your time, with your energy, with your resources. It's really a frame of mind. And what it really is, is an expression of generous living, which is what we talk about around here a lot. Paul wrote to Timothy to tell his congregation, his church that he was a pastor of, command your people, command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, to be generous and willing to share. 
In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. What is truly life? What is the life that you want to take hold of? The life that does good for other people. A life of generosity, a life of availability. What it really is is an expression of love. The greatest expression of love you can give someone is your time. So make time for doing good. Doing good means people. And then the third one is invest your time in what will bring satisfaction. He goes on. That each of them may eat, drink, and find satisfaction in all their toil. This is the gift of God. Finding satisfaction has to do with fulfilling your life purpose. It's what brings meaning to your life. It's what we talked about actually last week in greater detail. Um, We're told in Ephesians 2.10 that we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. That God has uniquely shaped each and every one of us. And, and there were certain of those things were given to you, those natural talents and abilities, they were given to you at birth. And God gave you a personality at birth. And then all throughout your life, through your experiences, God has used those experiences to shape your life. And you've acquired skills and, and additional abilities through all that. And then when you became a follower of Christ, you also received the power of the Holy Spirit, the spiritual gifts. And all of those things are part of how God has shaped you to make your unique contribution in this world. And we talked about this a lot more at length last week, so I'm not going to belabor it, but, uh, but I will highlight again this morning. We have a class. It's actually going to be next Saturday morning from 9 until 1 called Find Your Fit. And it's a great way to discover how God has uniquely shaped you. And, and I, I kind of promoted it last week, and actually a bunch of people signed up for it. For good, good for you. Now, now show up to the class on Saturday morning, all right? And if you didn't sign up for it, you still can. You can still sign up. It's part of our Northgate U program. I actually had one of the teachers of one of the other Northgate U classes come to me. Hale Birkin came up to me. He says, hey, can you promote my class next week? Because he got such a great sign up for his class. Can you promote? So this is, my, this is promoting Hale's class, okay? If you're interested in Martin Luther, nailed it, and all that, that's, that's Hale's class, so... There you go, Hale. You just got your promotion. The idea is this. You are uniquely gifted by God. And yes, it's within the context of a church family and a faith community that you discover those gifts and those abilities. You find your fit. But it's not just what you do here volunteering at the church. It's really about how you live your life out in the workplace, that you have a calling. We, 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 we say, I, I have a vocation. Vocation literally means calling. You have a life calling. And, and your job should reflect that calling. And that, by the way, is rooted in the idea of faith. When we talk about having a calling, the belief behind that is that there is someone who has given a call. That there is a God who created you, who shaped you, who continues to formulate, form your life Because he has a call on it. He has something for you to do with your life. And it's not just what you do here at church. It's where you live every day. It's the job that you work on. And whether you are a stay-at-home mom or or you work in an office or, or on a job site, you spend a great deal of your life at work. And that work should be also a reflection of God's grace through you. Ask you a question. If Jesus were your immediate supervisor, 
how would you do your job? How would you do, make that report, okay? How would you interact with your coworkers? The idea behind it is that you do have a calling. Wherever you are at in life, here's what I believe, and I say it over and over again, that God has equipped you and, and shaped you and placed you where you are for his purposes, and, and he has placed you in that job or in that neighborhood for this time for his purpose. And so the great task that you and I have is how do we translate our gifts, our talents, our abilities, our whatever God has used to shape us, how do we translate that into an expression of his grace in our world? And that is the greatest use of your time. And then if you will make space for regular time of replenishment, if you will carve out that time for people and being available to do good, and if you'll see your life calling, not just as a job and punching the clock, but as an expression of God's grace in that place for that time, then you will end up at the end of your life being able to say these words that Paul wrote to Timothy. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Would you bow your heads with me? It's been said that your life is God's gift to you. And what you do with it is your gift back to him. So my question as we close is what are you doing with the life that he's given you? Maybe you came in here today and you've been running on empty. You haven't been taking the time to replenish. In fact, maybe that's why you're here today. Because the realization that you need to be replenishing your soul. So maybe, maybe your decision today is to carve out time each day. To spend some time with God and just replenish your soul. Maybe, maybe you're here today and you've been so focused on your work, so focused on the tasks and demands of your time that you're, you think you're doing good, but you are missing out on the relationships and your family is suffering for it, your marriage is suffering for it, your friendships are suffering for it. And maybe that's you. And maybe, maybe today your decision is to just simply say no to some things, to slow down the pace of your life, to make room for people. Or maybe, maybe you're here and you're working at a job, but there's no passion, there's no sense of fulfillment, you're just punching a clock and putting in the time, and maybe, maybe today it's, it's maybe it's, it's re-examining your shape, it might mean a, a job change, it might mean just approaching your work with a different framework, different frame of mind, but wherever you're at today, the time that God has given to you is his gift to you, what you do with it. It's going to be your gift back to him. So if you're here today and there's one of those areas of mismanagement that you need to just make a decision and say yes to God today and just make a change in your schedule in a way that would be healthier for you and more honoring to him and you're willing to say yes, Lord, today, then I want to pray for you as we close. I'm going to ask you to do like we do each week. Just raise your hand and Hold it up for a moment, and as you do, also look up and catch my eye, because I'm going to acknowledge you and pray with you and for you as we close. Yeah, yeah.
Ja. 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 And maybe you're here today and you haven't entered into that life that God has as a gift to you. You've been pretty much living your life doing your own thing. And maybe today you're realizing this is not the way you were meant to live. And maybe it's the mistakes and the failures or the struggles that you're dealing with right now. Maybe, maybe it's the sin that just needs forgiving. But if you're here today and you haven't taken this first step of faith, you can, in a very simple way, acknowledge, God, I can't do this on my own. I want to put my life in your hands. I need your grace. I need your forgiveness. But I also need your life within me. And if you've never done that, but today you want to take a first step of faith, would you do the same thing? Just raise your hand, hold it up for a moment, look up, catch my eye. I'm going to lead you in a prayer as we close. All right. Yeah. 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 So let me invite you to just make this your prayer. Whether it's a first-time decision or, or, or a new area of my life, it's simply this, Lord, here I am with my faults, with my struggles, with my failures. I can't fix this on my own. I can't go back and undo what I've done wrong. I need your forgiveness. My life has been mismanaged. I need your grace. I need your life in me. So today, where you're speaking to my heart right here, right now, I'm saying yes to you. Putting my life in your hands. I'm putting this area of my life in your hands. Take me just the way that I am. Show me how to follow you for the rest of my life. In Jesus' name, amen.